Yo, what's going on everyone? How goes it? This is Elderoy reporting live from Delorenz, where everything is made in the shade and magnets don't work. <laughs> Just kidding, they totally do. Seriously though, what's going on? There's a car parked outside my building and there's a guy getting out of it. He seems to be holding a large, flat-ish, rectangular object, and he's walking towards the door. If I don't make it out alive, someone please call my grandparents and let them know that A, they should probably hire someone else to not water their plants, two, they don't need to send me that stuffed Donald Duck that they promised me and still haven't sent and trace. Oh yeah, I'm dead and stuff. More as this develops, or not, if this is the end. Guys, you can have pizza delivered to you. That guy, whose name was Ollie and he was very nice, brought me a pizza. After deciding that it was time to confront my impending doom, I opened the door and Ollie said, That'll be 12 bucks. He was either charmed by the very confused look on my face or motivated by the squeaking, Why? I admitted and he said, For the pizza? It's ten bucks plus two for the delivery, and then if you want to tip me, I won't say no. I gave him the money and enough for a tip because tipping is important and everyone should do it unless your waiter is a cow, and went back inside with my wonderful, glorious prize. I don't remember ordering a pizza. I feel like I would have remembered ordering a pepperoni pizza. I'm more prone to sausage and pineapple, but I like just about everything. You can have pizza brought to you? Like, you can tell someone what kind of pizza you want, and they'll bring it to you? What a beautiful world we live in. You know what? I've been happy with this merger with other places, but this has got to be the best part so far. This pizza, it's all mine, and I'm eating some. Unless it's actually yours, which would explain why I don't remember ordering it, to which I say, too bad. I paid for it because I got to the door faster. But I might share a slice with you, if you give me a dollar. Or buy me a soda. I prefer regular gloss and diet coke, but not diet gloss and regular coke if you're taking orders. Things are happening, people are doing stuff, and you guessed it, the sun continues to rise and set with each tediously miraculous day. Thrilling, right? Now that I've got your heart beating at a dangerously high level and your blood pressure up, let's get started with today's high-intensity show. Let's start off today's show with a segment that has been described by viewers as dope, exceptional, fragrant, and lethargic. Here we go. It's another round of That's a Thing? This one positively has me baffled, and my IQ is quite impressive, so that's really saying something. But why on earth do people buy pre-ripped jeans? Denim is already an expensive product, don't get me started on that, but jeans with holes in them are even more expensive. You are literally paying for someone to ruin your clothing. And why do people need jeans with holes? Is it some sort of affirmation that they have legs? I'm fairly certain that the majority of denim wearers have object permanence, so covering your legs doesn't make us think they no longer exist. And if you honestly 
desperately need holes in your pants, I'm not going to ask you why, because I consider that to be a private thing. Could you not save yourself $15 and make your own holes? I don't think scissors are as regulated in other places as they are here in Delorenz, so you should have no trouble personally ruining your own clothing. Another thing that's now an actual thing, flavored water. What will the world think of next? Scented air? Not only can you purchase water already in a bottle, but now you have options as to what it will taste like. I'm sorry, are you not drinking water because you want water-flavored water? If you wanted the taste of overcooked dirt and commercialization, would you not drink coffee? If you desired the flavor of sugar-coated happiness, would you not drink gloss? Where do we draw the line? Is there going to be iced tea-flavored water, or perhaps a non-alcoholic sidecar-flavored water? I understand that there is a concern for calories, but isn't that why diet was invented? Not diet gloss, just not. But I wouldn't suggest making a diet gloss-flavored water. I would much rather live with the crippling despair. Water is water. It's supposed to be pouring. Leave it alone. And Raphael Bartholomew, Delorenz's favorite obituary writer with whom I share an office, just passed me a note that says, Scented air fresheners are actually a thing. Well, I can't even be sarcastic about what are and are not things because apparently people these days need to make everything a thing. Sometimes you don't need things to do other things. You can do without those things or just find another way to do that thing without making a thing. You other worlders are so needy. I have yet to apologize for the earlier broadcast of today's show, and I won't, because apologies are a certain type of weakness one should never display. In case you're wondering, the only acceptable kinds of outwardly displayed weakness are awing over adorable puppies, or crying silent tears as you are told you no longer qualify for the museum admissions children's discount. And again, in case any of you are wondering, I have decided to broadcast today's episode several hours earlier than usual as I have a previous commitment tonight, and I honestly don't have confidence in my frothy listeners to make it an entire week without hearing my voice. What is my commitment, you ask? I'll tell you, tonight is the opening of Rogue Centerpieces, an exploration of decorative vases through the 1970s, the new exhibit at the Delorenz Museum of Modern Art. I will not be going to it. I will, instead, be taking care of my delightful goddaughter, Daisy Mercator, as her father, Brian, and father's associate, Dr. S. Barlow, attend the illustrious event. Daisy and I have quite a full night of frivolity prepared. We will first enjoy a lovely dinner of home-defrosted pizza cut into bite-sized pieces, smashed peas, and chocolate milk sipped through curly straws. Once our palates are cleansed, we will play several rounds of Go Fishmonger, followed by a viewing of High School Musical 3, Senior Year. Daisy has a penchant for Zac Efron, but what hot-blooded female doesn't? Once the film ends, I will watch Daisy brush her teeth, we will sing a round of Row, Row, Row Your Boat, and Daisy will fall asleep immediately because she knows the importance of structure and routine at bedtime. Unfortunately, due to these scheduling constraints, 
I won't have time for the discussion I would very much like to have with Daisy about her father's friend and how she feels about the two of them spending so much time together, but I suppose I can wait. Judging by their habits, I don't think Kate and Barlow will stop spending time together in the near future, and if I wait a bit more, Daisy might have more words in her vocabulary to express her feelings accurately. I have plenty of words in my vocabulary to describe my feelings, and they are this. Barlow is strange, and I don't understand why he seems to only own one hideous tie. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There should be rules against Paisley. Before I get too deep into the town gossip, I would like to take this opportunity to keep you all apprised of the progress of my memoir. I heard something fall. Are you okay? Now I don't actually have anything written yet, I've just been coming up with excellent chapter titles and hoping something results in word vomit onto the page. No luck yet, but my chapter titles are still excellent. I believe we last left off with chapter 9. You don't know what you're missing out on, but I have a radio show, so I'll tell you. Which does not yet, but will, chronicle the woes of self-publication. So I'll continue from there. Chapter 10 will be titled, It Smells Like Undergrad Boy. Chapter 11, if you actually looked at my face, you would know I'm not interested, is shaping up to be one of my favorites, theoretically. Chapter 12, what is iCloud and how do I do it, will follow. And chapter 13, which honestly is giving chapter 11 some fierce competition, will be entitled, Seething and Silent Anger. Some people like to give unsolicited advice on the writing process, and I'm not going to name names because that's really just asking for a knuckle sandwich, but if your moniker rhymes with Leneth D. Rabio, please ice it on the remarks about how I'm only coming up with chapter titles and will never actually write anything. No one likes you. In an attempt to escape the reality of living in a small city where everyone is in everyone else's business, I decided to read a play that takes place in a small town where everyone is in everyone else's business. I don't really know what to think about Thornton Wilder's Our Town. I read this play in school long ago before the cabaret band did, and I remember being bored. Raphael tells me that the band came from the play's mention of strawberry phosphates, which was thought to be a direct competitor with Delorenza's favorite raspberry cream beverage, Glaz. Now that I'm older, I've found that this is yet another cabaret decision I disagree with, but can only now admit. You're more than welcome to think whatever you want about the play, but a Google search of strawberry phosphates. Yes, please note that I'm becoming increasingly dependent on Google, and it's probably your fault. A Google search of strawberry phosphates only brings up material related to this play. Sure, one of those things is an Urban Dictionary entry that claims that Strawberry Phosphate is Emily's stripper name, but I really don't think that it competes with Glaz. Well, at least regular Glaz. I'm beginning to think that dirty puddle water can compete with diet Glaz. Is it possible to relate to a work of fiction based on its setting alone? I also grew up in a theater masquerading as a small town, I suppose without the added commentary of a stage manager, though that would have been greatly appreciated. Maybe I've had to become the stage manager in my own life, judging everyone from afar. 
I mean, he basically insults the audience and their intelligence on purpose in every other line. There's some scenery for those who think they have to have scenery. He judges the reader, the audience, and probably their life choices. I also wonder if, given his penchant for gleefully explaining how a character dies in the future as he introduces them, I wonder if the stage manager inspired death in The Book Thief. You don't know or care about this character yet, but here's how they die. That cute paperboy? He had dreams, but he died in the war. And his excuse? In this town, we like to know the facts about everybody. Maybe I don't care about the facts in his town, but I certainly can relate to... <clears throat> people caring about the facts. Somewhere. Honestly, I have more feelings about the way this story is told than the actual plot. I sort of adore the random guest speakers. The random professor giving a brief history of the town is the equivalent of Victor Hugo getting distracted and talking about the Paris sewer system. It's oddly endearing. And I'm pretty sure the random lady that asks if the town has any arts and culture is my dream role, or at least me in 20 years. She's referred to as Lady in the Box in the script. The stage manager's response is priceless. Well, these girls play piano once a year at graduation, but they're not happy about it. We're all not happy about it, sir. I might just start having guest speakers on this show. If you are invited, you already know. If you aren't sure, then you certainly are not welcome. The play is split up into three wildly different acts, and it's a good thing that this is a staple of classic literature because I don't think any modern playwright could get away with a full act of exposition, an act of a season finale event, you know, the wedding, and a depressing epilogue. Maybe modern writers can't make this slice of life thing work. I don't really have many other thoughts about the plot. The characters are something, I guess. Rebecca is the smartest person in this play by far, even if Emily's like, I'm smart because I say I am, look, books. George just wants strawberry phosphate slash Emily, and Wally likes stamps and waited until the last minute to study for a test. But Rebecca's like, money for the win, I just want money. You go, Rebecca. I think all we get about Rebecca later on is that she got married, but I bet that girl is also a wildly successful businesswoman. Even if Becca has the money smarts, Emily isn't so bad. She has standards. I always expect a man to be perfect and I think he should be. You go, girl. The real winners in this play are the moms. Mrs. Webb is exactly the kind of mother I want to be. She's completely honest when Emily asks if she's pretty. She's like, yes, my kids are pretty, I ordered them that way. Actually, what she says is, all my children have got good features, I'd be ashamed if they hadn't. And further explains that she was the prettiest girl in town, next to Mamie Cartwright. Mrs. Webb, tell us how you really judge beauty standards. I'd rather have a pretty name than a pretty face, I think. Anything is prettier than Mamie Cartwright, if you ask me. I don't know. This play is kind of depressing, I guess. I really don't want to talk about the second act because it's sappy, or the third act because it's sad. Maybe I should develop an alternate way of reading it, like those people who rearrange the order they watch the Star Wars movies, so it's a redemption arc for Darth Vader. 
Would we act one, act three, act two? Or maybe two, three, one? Or completely backwards? Mm, I guess not. The second act would be sadder after the third act. Maybe the play tries to do that itself by going back to the past towards the end? Ugh. Part of one, three, two. The rest of one? No, I guess we shouldn't mess with it. However you try to read it, it's depressing. I somehow relate to all of it and none of it, and now I want a soda, not diet. For those of you who don't stay up to date with Lori Withers' blog, for convenience's sake, you may have missed the announcement of her upcoming bachelorette party next Friday night. Everyone is invited, though Lori would like to remind you that seating at the roller rink is first come, first serve, and the catering, an amalgam of Horace's favorite eats from his new adventures in other places, will feed about 20 small children. Do not bring children. Since it will be held on a Friday night, you must adhere to everything but the kitchen rink's 90s night theme. 1890s, that is. Corsets optional, petticoats not. Anyone wearing bold-colored leggings will not be allowed because, and I quote kitchen rink's owner and proprietor, Marshall Marshalls, the 1990s were a black spot upon the calendar of Earth's lifetime and should never be celebrated ever. Also, leggings and tights are not pants unless you are Robin Hood wielding a lance. I don't think he came up with that line, but it does the trick. So, come to the bachelorette party, but only if you're into that sort of thing. Coming up next week, we have our annual town-wide secret Santa. It's a bit late this year, or early depending on how you look at it, but since the eggnog at the Christmas party was spiked more than usual during our most recent Christmas, no one actually remembers what happened. We voted on rescheduling the secret Santa, as well as some other minor festivities like caroling, pictures with various fat bearded old men, exchanging overly priced gifts, and a full-scale production of the Nutcracker, but nothing more than that because that would be excessive. And yes, the vote took place some time ago, but we haven't been able to fit it into our social calendar until now. I'm not saying this is Anastasia Edgerton's fault, but, well, she could have campaigned a bit harder for it to be scheduled before our annual announcement to all children ages 7 and up that Santa is, in fact, not real. And no. I will not tell you who my secret Santa is, so stop asking. You will be able to tell who I had once the presents are distributed and one person does not receive a gift. Please make sure you buy a gift for your secret Santa, otherwise you'll be lessening the impact of my not giving one. If any of you out there are interested, the Let's Rebuild Marvin Whitley's Roof fund is, unfortunately, ongoing. The most recent update from Marvin himself is that he has received $7.33, a paperclip, and a gum wrapper. The gum wrapper was mine. I thought he might enjoy the joke on it, since it was about being a freeloading cad who should not have had that video rental store in the first place. No word yet from Marvin as to whether or not he found that funny. No word yet either as to whether or not $7.33 is enough to buy him a new roof. I have just a couple listener submissions for you all today, and I have to say, 
What do you people do with your lives that you find the time to come up with inane questions to ask a celebrity personality that you've never actually met? What is the point? Do you actually think they're going to answer you? Anyway, listener submissions. The first one comes from I Believe I Can Pie 66. Hi, Zelda. I know you've mentioned that your favorite show is Who's the Boss, since you were allowed to watch that when you were still in that cult. What's your favorite show since you've left the cult? Okay. It was never a cult. It was a community of people who didn't like aspects of the world and decided to separate themselves into a secure location and have their own practices and traditions. Not a cult. Favorite TV show since I've left the... Since Deloran's merged with other places. Hmm. I would say my new favorite show is... Well, it would have to be a tie between One Tree Hill and The Walking Dead. I find One Tree Hill so pathetically amusing. Do people enjoy making their lives so incredibly difficult? The characters put themselves through so much unnecessary pain and anguish and heartbreak and honestly, it's just so hilarious to watch. And occasionally, when I start a downward spiral and think about my mother being killed and my best friend being killed and my other best friend hiding things from me and my grandparents abandoning me, I put on some One Tree Hill and instantly feel better about my life. As for The Walking Dead, I find it a refreshing change from all the annoying teen dramas with the perfectly made-up girls and perfectly dressed guys who look like they smell like sunshine and teen angst and do any of them ever actually go to school? Anyway, I don't think any of the characters on The Walking Dead ever bathe, and I adore that. There's so much unhappiness and despair and anguish, and it's wonderful. People say they're bothered by the gore, but I'm not at all. If anything, I'm slightly disturbed when characters cry. Yes, I... I think I'd like there to be less of that. Our next and last listener submission comes from Christopher Walken on Eggshells, and it says... Wait. I know you. Except last time you were walking on broken glass, and in the time before that, you were walking on sunshine. Are you the same person? I find it hard to believe that three random people chose such similar usernames, and I still don't understand what the deal is with this Christopher Walken person, and why are you doing this to me? This has been Listener Submissions. And that, for my lack of a better word, friends, is what we in the radio business call the end. Try not to be confused with the terminology. It's not for beginners. Anyway, I don't hope you enjoyed this latest installment of the Zelda Roy show. Honestly, I'm indifferent to your emotional responses. I'm going to produce the show whether you like it or not, so if you like it, wonderful. And if you don't, how on earth do you sleep at night? Certainly not with dreams of sugar plum fairies dancing in your heads, but I digress. You may now turn off the radio and continue what you were doing prior to my show, which was most likely something along the lines of alphabetizing your coupons or eating free-range chicken. See you later, alligators. This is Zelda Roy signing off. The Zelda Roy Show is written and produced by Rosemary Booker and Claire Kitten who consider choosing the right font to be more important than choosing a healthcare plan, for future reference. The voice of Zelda is Claire Kitten, music by Rosemary Booker. Check us out at zeldaroy.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening.